listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, are you ready to generate some new audio content with me? I have pre-trained myself on over 180 episodes of this podcast in order to be uh, conversational today on a new topic. Do I sound like a human? <laughs> I, I actually am a human, by the way. Oh, Jason. I'm, I'm glad you finally prepared for an episode. Thank you. I, I, I prepare, actually, actually, I didn't prepare that. No, I did. I did. I did. Sorry, listeners. I did. I did. I prepared a lot. No. Um, so we are actually starting a new series today. It's going to be a series on generative AI. Um, no surprise. My joke there was kind of speaking to the um, what GPT stands for in chat GPT. So the, the three, the three, the GPT moniker, the G is generative. The P is pre-trained and the T is transformer. This was actually pulled from an article that Pubis Sapient wrote that I really like. And so I was just kind of making a joke about, about that. But but our goal is to talk about generative AI, t- generative AI. So why are we talking about this? I think it's obvious, but it's always important. Why 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 do we want to do a whole series on this? I think it's a really important series, but what what do you, what's your take? Why <laughs> why is this worth our time? Why is this worth listeners' time? Well, e- Boy, I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not not understand that this is a transformative um, technology, Um, transformative at a business level, at a personal level, gosh, at a national level. I mean, this is going to impact a lot of different things. And the thing that I find exciting about it, Jason, is... It's so much green space. Yeah. Where do we go? How do we apply it? How do we manage it? Those are big, fun questions to to answer. Well, I think it's interesting. There's so many analogies. There's an article that I pulled from in, in preparing for this, this chat today, just to kind of set up the series um, from Chris Barbin at Tercera that I really like. And one of the things that he likens it to, I'm looking forward in here, is sort of the advent of cloud computing. That's the analogy he's used. He's used. Like some people kind of feel like, you know, and this in this reference, he was talking about the introduction of chat GPT, but it was kind of like a moment. And, and, and it is, it's kind of like this big kind of sea change, I think. And it's, and it's going to create, create, you know, you and I described this. I think it's probably the major consulting trend of the 2020s. I, mean, I think that's pretty likely at this point. I mean, we had, obviously we had um, web three and, you know, de- the decentralized web and we had crypto and we had all these things, but all those seems like, feel like, like, you know, sideshows, uh, blips at best compared to really what this generative AI movement is going to do to the consulting industry and the, and the broader economy. So, um, so that's why we're talking about it. You know, we're going to, like we've done with other series, we're going to have, you know, lots of guests on to talk about what they're doing. And today our goal was to sort of set the stage for what we see happening so far, both through our client interactions and conversations and through research and, 
talk a little bit about you know what what we see going on. So one thing I'll, I'll, I'll highlight real fast. So why are we talking about this? You know, I talked we talked about maybe the major consulting trend. We did some research um, this summer with I think it was 269 consulting firms. Uh, U.S.-based consulting firms uh, was not the purpose of the research was not to, about artificial intelligence necessarily. But what what I found interesting was that when we looked at the fastest growing firms in the data set, they were like twice as likely to be IT services firms, technology focused firms. So I just think we're you know when we look across the broader professional services industry right now, I do think that's really what AI is probably the biggest signaled that's driving growth um, for firms of all types. So the firms that are kind of jumping on this AI, you know, initiative are definitely ahead of the curve. We also saw it in other data sets. So we saw it in the Tercera released their Tercera 30 uh, last week. And as part of that, they did a survey of, I think, 55 technology firms. And it was, over half of those firms saw it as critical to their business strategy and the fastest growing firms in that data set, it was 73%. So again, the firms that are that see AI as critical, that are investing in it, that are focused on it, seem to be driving more growth than their peers right now would be the hypothesis I have there. So um, I, 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 I don't think it's hyperbole to say that it is probably the major consulting trend of the next, you know, of this decade. So um we want to get I you in front of I haven't had a chance to, to read that Tercera report yet. I, I'm curious, the, the importance of the AI is that you just mentioned is from a software developer perspective, right? And incorporating it into their existing products. No. So there, there's actually two halves to that report. So listeners who haven't checked this out, the Tercera 30 is uh, released every year by Tercera and it, and it, and it identifies the 30 uh, software companies that they believe have the greatest potential for, for channel partners, for people who want to operate in partner relationships with, with software companies. So it looks at the, the health of the, the partner ecosystems of those major software companies but this year, they also did a survey of IT services firm leaders to talk you know, to get their input on their partner relationships and their business. And part of that survey was on artificial intelligence. So um, I, I don't remember the data on that, you know, uh, but I do believe like the software companies themselves, I, I want to say like basically all 30 have made significant strategic investments in artificial intelligence within the last 12 months. I mean, like. So like the software companies themselves are even more, you know, invested in this, this, this movement than, than the IT services firms. The IT services firms are sort of lagging that a little bit based on the data, I would argue. I could be wrong about that, but so. Yeah. Well, that, that makes sense to me. And I'm, I'm still getting my arms around this, but it makes sense. And, I, you know, you already see that AI being baked into these existing platforms and then you have others building AI uh, tools, you know, that are AI tools just in and of themselves. Yeah, right. They're pure AI not, tools. Not supplementing something existing, but building something else. And I think 
I think coming out of the gate, that might be, you know, how this is approached from a solution perspective and how you think about the application of AI. It's going to be, I'm going to be curious to see how that unfolds. I mean, because these are expensive things to build. Well, yeah. And, and they also require massive data sets. So that's a good segue because I wanted to give a quick definition because I think people, one thing I, I want to be clear on on this series is this is not a a chat GPT series. I don't want to spend all of our time and energy talking just about chat GPT. Chat GPT is one tool that's based on generative AI type technology. Um, and I don't want to only be focused there. So I want to use this, this, this definition that I like. It's, it came from, again, Pubis Sapiens. So generative AI is a, is a type of artificial intelligence that is capable of creating new content, such as images, videos, or text, key thing being there, without being explicitly programmed to do so. It works by analyzing and learning from large data sets of examples and then uses this knowledge to generate new content that is similar to the original examples. I think the key things in there is it's not just written content. It can be images. It can be video. It can be text. It can be audio. Um, we've experimented with some AI um, voiceover, you know, audio generating applications, right? So, and I also think the other thing to point out in this definition is, you know, when I've read up on this to, to prepare for this series, most people that are really deeply in the AI universe actually don't like the word artificial intelligence because I would argue it's not really intelligent. It sort of feigns intelligence. It's basically a massive prediction engine is the way I look at it. Um, you know, it's, it, it looks at this massive data set and looks for patterns. And when you ask it questions, so for those of you who use ChatGPT, which I'm sure it's most listeners, when you ask a question, it's not really understanding the question as much as it is, is it's understanding the relationship of those words. And then it's basically when it answers, it's sort of like real time predicting what word follows the last word based on looking at massive data sets of how those words tend to be strung together. So it's sort of feigning intelligence. It, act, it feels like it's smart and you're having a conversation, but it really doesn't know what it's talking about. And, and that just gets amplified when you look at like images and video and that kind of stuff. It's just a much bigger data set. So I'm probably, you know, completely wrong when I say some of this. I'm sure AI specialists would have a much better description than I will. But that's the way I tend to look at it. And I try to remind people that, like, just because it feels so, so real doesn't mean that it necessarily understands exactly what you're asking it, which is why frequently you ask it questions and it gives you wrong answers. And you can ask it the same question again and again, and it keeps giving you different answers. Um, I've done that with some math problems with my kids where I've asked it math problems that it can't answer and it gets it wrong. And I said, well, no, you're wrong. Do it again. And it says, oh, sorry, here's another try. <laughs> I said, well, you're wrong again. And it says, oh, sorry, here's another try. It just keeps trying, but doesn't really have any idea. But it's speaking authoritatively as if it does, right? So I think that's that's something to to, to point out. So let me pause. Sorry, I, that was a lot fast. I, I, I'm just um, seeing this image of you arguing with AI tool from a <laughs> from a math perspective. Uh, that that I, I did me. enjoy that when, when we were doing that one day. I don't remember exactly what the problem was, but it, it was it was it was just completely wrong, and it kept getting it wrong no matter how many times we asked, and it was really funny. So order anyway. of operations, or or something <laughs> like that. How did your kids react? Oh, they thought it was hilarious. I mean, it was, it was, you know, you know, cause I was doing it with my one son. I was, we we're working on his homework. I said, well, let's just see what it says. And, uh, and you know, we're like, no, that's not right. That's, that's still not right. <laughs> so, 
but it's good. What a great life yeah. lesson for your kid to get. Don't just trust what comes out of it. Scrutinize, yeah. critically think about it. That's funny. Yeah. I'm sorry, I digress. No, you're good. You're good. So the other thing I, about, about generative AI, I, this is something I've been thinking a lot about, is that how did we get here? How did we get to this moment where ChatGPT hits the scene and it's open source and it's publicly available and everybody's interacting with it? And I would argue it's it's like the collision of two things. So thing one is the massive content explosion we've been living in over the last like 15 to 18 years that gave this massive publicly available data set to draw from. And then this is from other articles I've read that not my thinking, but just this like the rapid reduction of like computing costs, right? Cloud computing is like driven the cost of like this stuff down. So they've got access to this massive data set that they can use pretty much freely. And then they've got, you know, low cost of, of computing, which then yields this ability to create a, a you know, a, um, a tool to, to do these types of things. So, all right, let's transition. Let's talk about professional services. How, how are firms using this? What are you seeing, you know, you know, from your clients? What are you seeing from other research? Kind of, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, what's, what's going on right now? Yeah. You know, my clients are not using it um, a lot on a firm-wide basis. Right now, a lot of individuals are using it in unique ways. You know, the clients I work with, you know, leverage it quite a bit in their marketing efforts and in, in sales efforts. Um, and there's a lot of different ways of, of doing that. From, a, from an application perspective, from a consulting perspective, where my clients are, are using it is probably more from the baked into the software partners that they're using. Um, I have several clients that are automation focused consultancies and the machine learning and the AI that's coming out of those tools to continuously improve processes is probably the most tangible and real way yeah. that it's being used right now. But then, you know, I the stories that I read around how these things are being applied, it, it, it seems bizarre, but it seems like, you know, the really big companies are making the investments in, in these, these things. Uh, Amazon just made a big investment this week in an AI firm. Anthropic, I think was, is where they put that, that money. So you see it like on the high end and then on the low end, you know, very small companies completely creating new business models with it, new businesses uh, with it. And then it seems like everyone in the middle of the distribution is like trying to figure it out. Yeah. Which to me is the great opportunity for consulting firms because that huge mass of companies that are trying to figure it out need help. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I would 
mirror what you said. I, I, have, I don't have any clients that are telling me that they're using it systematically or like with a real structured process that they're trying to adopt in a certain way. I, I see a lot of, of firms that are just experimenting, individuals experimenting with different things. Um, I like that you went to process documentation because I think when we think about like when we think about this, the most readily available tool, of course, is ChatGPT. So the first place we go is to written content. And the thing that you hear people kind of like knocking out, of course, is like low-level marketing content, social posts, right? Um, although I, saw, I find it kind of funny that if you think about like we had this glut of content for the last 15 years and everyone's just like, you know, pushing so much out into the universe. So now you're going to amp that up with AI and push out even more into the universe and if you think about the essence of social media, it was supposed to be about dialogue. So it seems to me the people that are most effective in social media, that's where they put their energy is in dialogue, not looking for ways to automate and hammer out more content. So I don't know if that's actually really going to help you. But I do like the notion of process documentation. I think that's a really great application because it's something that 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 every company struggles with. Like it's just hard to take the time and to get doc processes documented well and anything that can help accelerate that or make that easier so that people can do it and will do it. I think that's really smart. And one of those Sapien articles, I saw a thing in there that I thought was really smart where they had, um, they were saying they were seeing companies use it to automate internal knowledge search networks and recommendation engines. So like if you're, I think about like Accenture, I don't, I've never worked with Accenture, but I know that they, the, for, you know, 30 years ago, they had a huge, sort of database repository, a knowledge, a knowledge engine where they could, so you can track people down. You've probably seen that firsthand. And I would imagine that would be a great application of that where you can help uh, augment that search and make it more effective. So that's what, that's one I read about that I thought was pretty interesting. Interesting. One of the uh, other, other, other things that we saw, like, again, it was, you know, the, from the Tercera data that I saw in one of their articles was that there's, a lot of firms, well, well, when when firms are working with the clients on on AI implementation, one of the big use cases seems to be about customer services and call center call centers. So, looking for ways to uh, streamline that process, make it more efficient, more effective, um, that kind of thing. Which it seems like a logical first step for a lot of orgs. Um, so where I think firms are getting hired, I would say, is, is in that, is what I saw in that data set. Um, what else? Anything else you're seeing? Well, I, I'll add two things. One is, how do I say this? The success of its application right now and is kind of chaotic, you know, how can we use it? type of mindset, from my opinion, is it has to be focused on a, a problem to, to really leverage it, right? How do you solve this problem? What are the characteristics of this problem? Why did this problem come up? How have people tried to solve it? What's been successful? What hasn't? All those kind of, uh, of, applications, the people that I think are going to really benefit from it are moving from kind of that specific improve, you know, efficiency, take out cost types of things, which are really important to 
how can I use this to anticipate actions, right? Whether that's on my client's part or uh, my employee's part or my competitor's part, what to that, that to me is the, the grail that so many companies are looking for that predictive dimension of, of the data. So I think that's, that's number one. Um, on a more practical level, the way I have been using it is to accelerate my own thinking. And the key that I have found so far is you get out of it what you put into it. You have to have the right prompts. You have to write questions, the right context. And I've found that it has accelerated my ability to um, get up to speed from a strategic perspective with new clients, their industries, the issues, the competitive set. I mean, things that used to take me days, if not weeks, I can get in hours now. And to me, that's that's incredibly powerful, simple, and easy uh, yeah. for firms to use. So in that case, you're saying it's, it's almost replacing it. It's replacing a, a structured Google search type query where it's you, you want to come up to speed on an, an industry or a new client, their competitive set, their situation, and 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 your most recent behavior would have been to go to Google, search, and just start reading all the various things you find. Um, and then sort of building your knowledge uh, effectively. Now it's, let me go to, in this case, probably chat GPT, ask it those same types of questions and, and see where it leads me because it's going to sort of summarize those answers loosely. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Yeah, so sort of knowledge development. I think that's 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 you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. This idea that like, um, of course, the, the pitfalls to that are, and you know them. I'm not I'm not saying them just to claim you don't know them, but is that of course, technically, ChatGPT is not connected to the internet. So like, it's 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 knowledge set is dated. So it doesn't actually have access to everything that's out there. Number one, and number two, of course, you know, you and I have talked about this. The idea that it, it just because it summarizes what's out there doesn't mean it summarizes it correctly. It, it, as we talked earlier, it gets math problems wrong. So sometimes the information it spits back is incorrect. But it, as long as you know those things going in, and I know you do, then you're fine, right? Because you you know you have these kind of like filters in your head, like, well, okay, wait a minute, you know, just because it says, like, I I, I tested it early on, very early in this year. Um, trying to identify uh, topical thought leaders on certain things. And then when I would ask it to source stuff, it would literally make up publications that didn't exist. <laughs> like whole, like, I mean, like, tell me, tell me, you know, like who wrote books on this topic? And it would, and it would literally very emphatically state, here's 10 books written on this topic, authors, everything. And then I'd go search those on Google and they wouldn't, they would not even exist half of them, you know, so it can kind of mislead you by accident, but it doesn't matter. 
because I agree with you. It's what what I liked about what you said is speed is like, I do think there's something here about speed that is huge that what, you know, whatever your investments look like, whatever technologies you end up using that you can use it to accelerate processes a lot, whether it's knowledge, you know, knowledge development or, you know, downstream activities, but you know, things that are maybe more task-based. Um, but I think that's a big untapped benefit, right? You can move a lot faster. Yeah. So, um, I think the other thing that, that I'm hoping we get out of this series as we talk to, to people is, is more on the growth side. Cause I agree with you. Most of what's been out there so far has been about just driving efficiency and, you know, looking for ways to reduce costs. But I think that there's probably tons of growth opportunities out there. One that I read this morning was, I guess, Spotify launched a, a podcast translation service. So pretty soon rattle and pedal will be coming to you in Mandarin. Um, with our voices. <laughs> I'm a native Mandarin speaker. No, I'm not, but apparently Spotify is. So, um, but I think that's a pretty cool new thing because again, that's about growth, right? You know, you're taking in that article was shared by Shelly Palmer. One of the things he pointed out was that um, 20% of the world speaks English. 50% of the internet's content is English. Huge gap there, right? So there's, there's like huge opportunity, especially with, you know, organizations where you've already got like high quality thought leadership going out the door that you can, you can translate it more, more aggressively, more effectively. And you can even do it kind of with the voice and intonation of the, of the original subject matter expert, which is pretty cool. So that to me is a growth opportunity, right? Cause you're opening up, you know, new, new client streams or new business streams. Right. So, um, so I hope we see, I hope we see more of that in, in the series. Um, you want to talk about risks for a few minutes before we, before we move on or, or are we, what do you think? Well, you know, we me. want to save I'm, that for later. I'm not, I'm not risk averse or I, I never home in on, on the negative implications. It's usually not even a topic in consideration in your, in your mindset. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I had to, I had to specifically bring it up because I figured you'd need the prompt to be reminded <laughs> to talk about it. Uh, well, it, it, you, you have to know the risk in order to manage them. It's simple. This is true. So it's says simple. every great risk manager, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. So uh, what, what are the risks associated with this? I, th I think there's some, some, you know, obvious ones. One might even say trite at this point. And the big, the big one is, you know, the elimination of, of so many existing jobs. And what does that look like for professional services firms, um, clients or the professional services firms themselves? And nobody really knows that. You know, we can kind of hypothesize that anything that's a routine, repetitive task is probably going to be gone fairly, fairly quickly. But I think I think that's a risk, a very real risk. How do you deal with that? Right. How do you retrain people? Yeah. How do you? Well, one of the things I put in that was like this notion of, of stunting the talent development pipeline. So it's like sometimes those somewhat routine tasks are 
um, sort of critical learning learning grounds for people in certain roles. And when you take that away and automate it, and, and some in some instances, like one of the things I was thinking about was like you think about the accounting industry, right? There, there's a they're they're struggling to find people to go into the profession. So it's not necessarily replacing jobs, but it's sort of like probably filling tasks that they can't get done right now anyway. But the point being that because those tasks are now being automated or done by some type of artificial intelligence, there's nobody that's getting their own pattern development doing those tasks. Um, I, I joked about pattern development at the opening of this, you know, saying that's not intelligence, but actually, I guess you could make the argument that, that all human intelligence is based on pattern development as well. It's no different. It's just, you know, like the computer can do it much faster. Um, I think well. that is a great point, Jason. It, it really is. I never thought of it like that before, but it, it is recognizing those, those patterns and connecting those dots that elevate our learning. That's critical thinking, right? Yeah. You, you start from, from the data and start connecting it all together. And if you eliminate that, and I, I don't know, maybe some people would argue, well, you're just moving up that those connections up a layer Sounds on the pyramid of, yeah. of knowledge connection. That could be. I mean, there was a great podcast by Planet Money on the invention of the spreadsheet years ago. And one of the things they talked about was like before the spreadsheet, if you wanted to know like how profitable something was, it would take like weeks of work from people like with pen and paper working this thing forever. Right. And I don't think we lost, you know, data rigor when we, <laughs> we brought the spreadsheet along. So maybe that's an analogy where it's like, you know, maybe I'm overblowing that as a risk, but I don't think it's something you should ignore. You know, um, data privacy is one we had on the list that I actually think is really important. I, I don't think that anybody really, I shouldn't say anybody. I think a lot of people just don't think about what they're shoving into, to, to, into the chat bot, you know, and whether or not they should be shoving that in there or not. And I do think that, you know, you, you will see that be a reasonable concern for firms that they need to pay attention to, especially when it's client data, right? Um, of any type. Yeah. This is one that really concerns me. One is, you know, the, the client data and the liability that goes with, you know, the exposure of that that's really important. But then there's the individual data and, and how that is exploited. So for, mm -hmm. for me, the data, the data privacy is, is an important risk to manage from a liability perspective. But the more important issue to me is the moral implications of how, and this may be, you know, kind of the highest level risk uh, for me is how does this technology get applied? Because yeah. there is a lot of good that can come out of this, but there is a lot of bad that can come out of this, this technology. And we're hearing so much talking about, you know, these existential threats that AI exists and how is it going to be regulated and what does that look like and 
how how does you know this human regulatory body keep up with a technology that's moving you know a hundred times faster than a you know a regulatory body can move and and what does that that look like hundred times might be generous right? yeah yeah <laughs> you know but but to me one of the biggest issues and I think this is true of so many technologies is you know morally and ethically how does it get applied. Right. And if ever there was a time for sound, strong, grounded leadership, now is one. Well, it's interesting because you shared with me in the setup for this, uh, Freakonomics did a three-part series on AI. And in one of those, they were interviewing a data scientist that had done a bunch of work. And, and I think she was trying to figure out if AI could could be funny if AI could generate jokes that people would laugh at. Anyway, one of the things that was interesting, she had a quote in there where she said basically um, that she doesn't really think much about how this stuff is going to be used. She's just interested in the technology and if she can pull it off or not. And I think there's a lot of technologists that are in that court. There's also a, a documentary on Netflix about the use of AI in the military, and it's pretty eye-opening what, what's really going on. But there was an interview with a couple of um, uh, uh, viral medicine, virologists, I guess would be the right word, that were researching, um, you know, different viral strands. And they applied artificial intelligence to that to see how many different strands they could basically generate that that aren't, you know, risks right now. And pretty quickly, they they generated a lot. Um, And they suddenly realized, what have we done, right? But it was after the fact that they realized it, right? So I think you have a valid point that the the that the ethics issue needs to be part of the conversation in any technology choices that are being made around what you're doing, um, because there's repercussions that sometimes can't get undone. So the last risk that I see, that one that I it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the knowledge thing, was like I'm calling it convergence to the mean. I was talking to. Um, a friend of mine who was, who this is a secondhand comment, but he heard it from the chief creative officer of a, of a really notable agency. And he, the, 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 the quote was chat GPT is a great technology to get to sort of fine. And I think that's a great way of looking at some of these things is that like, as everyone is kind of using these tools, what essentially it's doing as is it back to my description of the technology in the first place is it's sort of, um, taking all of the collective wisdom of something and then sort of like synthesizing that into a single answer or a single point of view on something. And that to me is convergence to the mean, right? So when you, when you want to develop a distinct and powerful point of view, I don't know if these tools are the places you go for that because, or something that's creative or quirky or different or unique, different way of looking at the world. I don't know if these technologies are the places you go for that. And so I think if the more and more people rely on them, I think that's going to be a problem. Um, so other risks we want to highlight before we take it to wrap. The, the, the last thought that, that I have goes back to a, a John Wooden quote. Be quick, but don't hurry. I think that's what professional services need to be thinking right now around 
AI is you have to move, but don't move without thinking and, and purpose. Experiment, but experiment in a smart way where you're learning and, and applying that learning to the next ex- experiment. Um, you know, let the individuals run. But I think now is the time to be just be having the conversations and getting the thoughts from people about how to apply this and um, rewarding people for going deep on the application of 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 this, um, because I, I, I think firms need to leverage all of the minds in their firms. Yeah. On, on how to use this. And, you know, a thousand experiments is, is the way to do it. But if people are like, ah, I don't want to take the time to learn it or I'll wait till somebody else figures it out. Your firm's going to be left behind. Yeah. I, I, first off, I love that quote. I actually didn't know that quote, but I really like it. Be quick, but don't hurry. And I wanted to highlight something you just said. And that is that, Forget it. Be quick, but don't hurry. I like that. All right. What to expect from this series? So uh, just to wrap it up today, the, really, we're going to run this series you know, through much of the remainder of the year. So um, our goal is to have conversations with marketers at AI-focused software companies. So we're going to bring in some of um, those specialist providers, hopefully, and have them talk about uh, what they're doing and, and how you can deploy some of their technologies. We're going to talk with practice leaders and marketers at, at firms about some of the interesting things they're doing with AI and, and how they're deploying it and how they're applying it and what, they, and what their perspective is on it. Um, so by the end of this, we'll have another um, hopefully strong series and we'll do a reflection piece where we look back on what we learned and we'll use it as um, you know, sort of like a great learning experiment for, for listeners over the ne- next few months. You can start thinking about how you might want to approach um, artificial intelligence in 2024. So um, it's going to be a fun ride. It is going to be fun. All right. Talk forward. to you next time. All right. See you, buddy. See ya. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.